everybody, let me introduce you to my new guest for today. Casey Boyd is currently a school librarian with the District of Columbia Public School System. She has previously worked as the lead librarian for the East St. Louis School District 189 in East St. Louis, Illinois, an area library coordinator for Chicago Public Schools, and a district coordinator for the Mayor Daily Book Club for middle school students. She is a second generation educator and holds master degrees in library information science, media communications, and education leadership. Boyd currently serves on the executive boards for the District of Columbia Library Association and the Black Caucus of the American Library Association. She is an active committee member for the American Library Association Chapter Council representing Washington, D.C., American Association of School Librarians Digital Tools Committee and the Every Library Institute slash Advisory Board. Boyd is also a member of the District of Columbia Public Schools Library Corps and is a representative of the Washington Teachers Union Equity Collaborative. Boyd currently freelances as a content specialist for the Epic Books for Epic Books and is a national ambassador representing the Washington DC area for Checkology Virtual Classroom and the News Literacy Project. A staunch advocate for school libraries, she is widely known and respected for her work with educating parents, teachers, and district officials on promoting leisure reading for children and teens. Additionally, she is a sought after and popular keynote speaker and conference presenter at the local, state, and national levels. It is Boyd's belief that all children, despite economic circumstance, have the right to read and should have access to books that reflect themselves and encourage inquiry. Boyd can be reached through her website at www.kcboyd.com. And I am so elated to have you today. And thank you for agreeing to do this, for being all of the things and then taking an hour out of your time to be here on Stories with Bree. I really greatly appreciate it. As I told you in via email, I've been following you for a while, Casey. <laughs> and so um, mm -hmm. I just realized that we have another thing in common where you were yeah. the lead librarian in East St. Louis. That's my hometown. So I was like, let me wear this shirt today to show. Uh -huh. <laughs> St. Louis and proud city champion from that from that place and uh, from my hometown as my grandma called it the beautiful anointed and delivered city of East St. Louis so I really appreciate that's right that. um so I wanted to talk to you I wanted to have a, a conversation about not only the work that you do as a librarian but just about you Casey as a person and the things that you believe in in regards to that centers around literacy learning mm -hmm and engaging with children and students. I'm gonna be quite honest. I've been talking to a lot of school librarians and I when I when I say I appreciate what y'all do because me and kids, we don't click like that. <laughs> but yet they be drawn to me, but we don't click like that. And I'm yeah. like, it takes a lot to be a teacher in general. And so then to go beyond that and also be a librarian on top of being a teacher because um, I was talking to Dr. Pamela Moore uh, and she was talking about how school librarians, of course, you guys are teachers, so you have to create curriculum, you have to create all of those different things. And I'm like, listen, wait a minute, it's enough to deal with the library, but to also also have to teach too, that's a lot. Yeah. 
Speaking, um, before we get too far away from the icebreakers, I do this with everybody here, and I definitely want you to speak to your experience as a school librarian, but I, I like to try to do these icebreakers so people can get uh, know a little bit about my guests. So my first one is, if you can remember, what's your favorite childhood book? Oh, wow. Um, it would definitely have to be some of the Dr. Seuss series like Hop on Pop, Green Eggs and Ham because of the phonetic rhyming in it because my parents were both school teachers, you know, so they understood the importance of um, phonics education. Yes, I, I agree with that. I love Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss wasn't my favorite childhood book, but I do remember that when I was into those books that that is what caught my attention, the repetitiveness, the, the having, right. you know, I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam, I am. It was like, yeah. And, and it also, I feel like helps kids to kind of tap into their emotions and their feelings, like understanding what they do like and what they don't like. And mm -hmm. um, I did appreciate that about Dr. Seuss book. So that's great um, that you would mention that. And one of my other guests said the same thing, that Dr. Seuss was their favorite as well. I feel like right. Dr. Seuss carries generations. So <laughs> I'm it does. Uh, some of the titles are a little concerning, but um, and thank goodness they decided, the family decided to take it out of print you know, but some of their classic tales like Green Eggs and Ham, for example, you know, those are staples in, in a lot of school library programs. Yeah, I appreciate that too. I appreciate that they were aware enough and up, up in, on culture and up on the times to be like, this is controversial. We should remove these out of print yep. and no longer service these. And I feel like that is a part of being a part of this bigger conversation of diversity and sensitivity surrounding literature, which we'll deep dive into some of that as well as we continue to go on. Um, you're a librarian, so when I have librarians on, I don't say, ask them, do they have library cards? I ask them, how many library cards do they have? Because <laughs> I know as a librarian, we don't just have one. Most times we got several. Actually, I only have two. <laughs> Okay. Believe it or not, um, I have one for um, District of Columbia Public Library System, okay. and then I also have one for the America, uh, Maryland Library System, which where I live, okay. you know, so one for work, one for personal, and sometimes they bleed over to each other. <laughs> so I make use of everything, you know, that I could get my hands on. Absolutely. Um, I was I put up a, a reel on on social media on Instagram and I was like this might be overkill and I understand this it might just be me but I got a lot I was looking at all of the library cards that I have I was like girl you got you team too much right now <laughs> but I do only have like three active ones I have one for mm -hmm. the Andrea branches, one for Arlington, and then also one for DC. I'm considering, I don't know if I can, but I'd probably get some for Maryland as well, because I just like to have a variety and have access to information. And each library system offers different things. And so yes, I, they do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so for you, digital or pen and paper? Um both. <laughs> I I just for note taking, um, it's nothing you can beat with that that note section in your iPhone. Let, look, look. Then, <laughs> but then at the same time, I believe that personalized written notes are really important that yeah. you put in the mail. 
you know, for, for people. Yeah, I do that. I was doing that throughout the pandemic. I actually am going to start doing it again. I was sending out postcards to to my close friends and family. I'm just letting them know I appreciate them. So little yeah. folks. And so I, I agree with that, but I'm mostly digital. Um, and I do both. I'm do I'm starting to get more into pen and paper, but uh, that notes app, I was talking to someone about that. My notes app is is ridiculous. <laughs> it's mine is popping. It's mm-hmm. popping over there. It's lit mm-hmm. in my notes app. So I completely understand. That was part of the reason why I think I went to iPhone is because of the notes app. That was the reason why I became an iPhone right. user. Yeah. I don't know about anybody else, but for me, that's what it was. And then do you have a favorite author or writer? Mm, I have different authors that I lean towards for mm-hmm. different genres. Okay. Um, a lot of people will find it very interesting that I like romance novels. I do. They're my it's a form of escapism. And Beverly Jenkins, she's it. Okay. When it gets into the topics of um, uh, race relations in the classroom, mm-hmm. oh goodness, I love um, Glenn E. Singleton. I mean, he has some of the best works that are out here. Um, graphic novels. You know, I am torn between uh, Jerry Craft. And um, I would say Raina Telegemeyer. I can never pronounce her name. I'm horrible with last names. But um, <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, when, when it comes to like young adult middle school writers, Paula Chase and Nick Nick Stone, yes. you know, and there's so many more. And I, it, it's it's ridiculous in terms of favorite authors. It's, it's hard to just say one, yeah. you know, because... I have a a variety of genres that I enjoy reading. So I always kind of stick with those same authors all the time. Okay. Yeah. I I feel like I I lean towards a certain group of people as well. I I know for me, my favorite author, and I think he'll forever be rest in peace to him, but Eric Jerome Dickey, I feel like came Mm -hmm. to me at a time when I probably shouldn't have been reading his books anyway, but he came to me at a time where I felt like I was more, more engaged and really trying to lean into understanding and getting more Black authors and Black literature in what I consider my literary canon. And I feel like because a lot of my, um, now we're going into the school conversation, a lot of my reading, especially in school settings, when I was in like primary school and elementary and high school and middle school, it centered a wholly, even though I I grew up and born and raised in East St. Louis, a lot of it still centered on pre- predominantly white authors and predominantly like those were the canon, those were the things that we were expected to know and to learn. I will say that my school district did do a, a good job of incorporating some black authors. Like, of course we read Zora Neale Hurston. Um, we were introduced to Tony, Tony Morrison. We had to read The Bluest Eye, those things of that nature, but it wasn't enough I feel like Black authors that were presented to me, even though I went to a predominantly Black school and was in a predominantly Black school district, we were still more so into the Chaucers, into Shakespeare, into, um, Mm -hmm. and in college, really, because I went to a PWIS, which is a predominantly white institution, for those of you who don't know what that stands for, Mm -hmm. a lot of it was centered on the reading what they consider the literary canon, and I was like, can we expand this canon, or can we just blow this canon up, because this is not, this is not helpful, it's not useful, and so, 
I feel like I, I wanted to ask you, what did you always know? I know you said that both of your parents were educators, but did you always want to be a librarian or is that something that you kind of fell into librarianship? And then how did you end up, you know, deciding that instead of just being what we consider traditional librarian, you was like, no, I want to work more in the school systems and with children. What, how, what was your decision making for that? Well, uh, it starts with my parents when you are a TK, mm -hmm. a teacher's kid, mm -hmm. the last thing you want to do is work in education because your parents bring home everything that they're frustrated about, um, like many other professions, um, to the dinner table. And there's times of the year where, you know, I really couldn't get my parents' attention because they were extremely busy, mm -hmm. you know. And so I just was not in, interested. I actually majored in mass communications uh, for broadcasting. I did some work in that field post-graduation. I worked for a um, satellite company that had local origination contracts with, uh, with uh, South Suburban uh, towns in uh, the Chicago suburbs. Okay. And I had to host a show, you know, similar to what you're doing, but it was a lot, it was, um, I shouldn't say a live show, it was a tape show. Okay. And it was like kind of Oprah Winfrey kind of format because Oprah was really hot at the time. And did that for several years, did it at the corporate level too. And my, you know, career started to stall a little bit. Mm -hmm. And my father swooped in and said, you know what, you really need to go into education. And I'm like, for the umpteen time, I'm not doing this. Right. And he says, no, you don't have to go into a traditional classroom. You could become a school librarian. And I, you know, I, I like to tell this story briefly because, um, you know, it was my father that influenced me mm -hmm. to go into school librarianship, but it was because he had such a great relationship with his school librarian, Ms. Campbell. Okay. And Ms. Rosemary Campbell at Gillespie Elementary School in Chicago. And they worked together for years, like over 30 years together. And as a science teacher, well, science teachers always go to the library and they ask for resources to help teach those critical lessons. And Ms. Uh, Campbell always pulled out material for him to use when teaching certain lessons. Okay. So that's how I ended up in school librarianship is it was a result of my father but it was a re result of him having such a positive uh relationship with his school librarian i think that that's very essential and it's, it's good that you bring that up because i'm a well i've never i've never been a teacher and I'm, so i'm still learning and this is part of the reason why i'm having these conversations with school librarians because i really do want to understand that but I do remember moments when we would go into the library and we would have like lessons and things of that nature. But I really felt like there were never really too much any structural things happening. And that could have been, I don't know if it was because of the 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 person that was in charge and that's no you know quorum to them maybe we weren't just paying attention but I do remember there are maybe two or three times where we did visit the library when I was in school and my senior year of high school, I practically lived in the library. Like if you knew where to find me and that's where I was. And I think that for me, a lot of my education towards reading and literacy as well comes from a parent. My grandmother 
placed books before us and she always had books in our face and she in many ways although she was never a professional educator or a teacher by profession she was still a very much so a, one of my primary teachers and she focused a lot on making sure that we we were engaged and we were introduced to um to literature to introduce to black authors and I think that that's why I ultimately decided to become a librarian. I felt like I was just kind of reared into this space because mm-hmm. <laughs> books are, like I love books and I've never not, I don't know a life without them. And so I right. think you, I don't, I don't just like literally, I just don't know a life without having books surrounding me and being around books. And I saw when I was doing a little bit more research because I like to, like I said, I've been following you for a while. And one of your quotes is, it sparked something in me because it sparked into a conversation that I had recently with my grandmother, who's also an author. And she said something along the same lines. It says that your one of your favorite quotes is that reading is the gateway skill that makes all learning possible. And she said the same thing. And I was like, Hmm, it's, it's, it's interesting that we all think that, but could you expound on that, on that, why that is one of your favorite quotes and why do you think it's essential, especially for you as a school librarian to promote that, to promote that type of literacy in the classroom for your students? Yeah, I first heard that um, when then President Obama mm-hmm. was Senator Obama from Illinois and the American Library Association conference was held in Chicago and he mm-hmm. was the one of the opening speakers and he talked about reading is the gateway skill that makes all learning possible. It, if you don't if you don't know how to read, it makes it very difficult for you to navigate the World Wide Web for crying out loud. I agree. And sometimes even educators have a tendency to be dismissive about how powerful, reading is and um, when it comes to the web because kids have to be able to navigate the web effectively there's no picture crews on the on the web it's it's um you need to be able to read (laughs) when you're using the web and um i feel that we've moved away from reading Mm-hmm. a lot mainly because there are other things that are going on in society that's captured our attention yeah. and I'm going to speak from the lens of a kid video games parents that work um maybe second or third shift mm-hmm. um parent uh, kids that are living between two and three homes not because there's a problem in the home but it's more so of well during the week the child is with grandma to go to school because grandma can pick the child up from school because mom and dad are at work, you know, and mom or dad has to work on Saturdays. So now the child is at this second home, you know, and so you have kids that are moving from home to home to home. And even as a librarian, I had to understand and be patient with that because sometimes a kid and the kid is going to be a kid, they accidentally leave the book at the house. And they're not going to be back at that house for another week. <laughs> you have to wait for the book to come back. So these are things that do happen in the scope of education. And if you don't have that foundational tool um, in terms of um, being able to read proficiently, you're, I feel like you're going to be lost in our society because our society has become so te- um, text-oriented. 
Yeah. Because everything is so text oriented. It makes it quite difficult for someone who is not proficient in, excuse me, in reading. So um, yeah, reading is is that, that foundational tool that, that lead you in all different pathways of life. And without it, it does make it quite challenging to navigate life, I feel. I, I agree with you because I just even, like I said, speaking from my own experience as a child, I found a lot, a lot of the things that I've learned a lot mm-hmm. of things that I've like the processes and life learn lessons that I've taken in. I found them in the book, whether it be good or bad. I, I literally read myself into like people often say, how do you know so much about this, that, or that I read? And I've been an avid reader and I literally distinctly, one of my favorite childhood memories is laying in the floor with Harry Potter, with a Harry Potter book. Mm-hmm. open reading it and that was one of my safe spaces it was one of my places of peace and I just for a long bulk periods of time because I really wasn't around a lot of people for a, a, a significant chunk of my childhood it was just me and my grandmother and so that's what I had we didn't really have tv because my grandmother's a pastor so we really didn't have a, a television in the space we didn't have that so I was surrounded by the, by this literature and so that's mm-hmm. what I did I read and I do believe that a lot of that has contributed into this wealth of knowledge and me becoming a lifelong learner because of that because of having books because of knowing how to read and as I was when I was talking to Dr. Pam I was like and she mentioned something about not really remembering when she began reading I was like that's actually true I just know I've always been surrounded by Mm -hmm. literature I've always but I know that everybody's not fortunate to necessarily have that as you mentioned like your students, especially you deal a lot more with underrepresented communities. You, you focus solely mostly on African-American um, teaching and, and dealing with and, and training African-American students. And a lot of them do have a hard life. Like you said, they have parents who work third shift who may not, that may not be, it's not to say that their kid is not a priority because they wouldn't be working as hard as they did if their kid wasn't a priority, but it's to say some things fall to the wayside. Um, and as an educator, as a, as a um, school teacher and as a school librarian, how do you feel, how important is book diversity to you in the classroom? Oh, extremely important because kids need to see themselves in the stories that they read. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's one way that you can hook kids into reading. Um, also, too, you can generate a lot of uh, reading interest that way. And I'm gonna, I'll, I'll talk about the latter first. Mm-hmm. I have African-American girls that are really hooked into preteen and teen YA um, books about Asian-American girls and their lives. They find this very interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, I look at it this way. Now, they can go off to college and guess what? Their first roommate could be an Asian young lady. So my, my attitude is, is that they wouldn't make some of the obvious mistakes sometimes people make when they encounter people of other ethnicities, yeah. because the books that they're reading, they do, they do reference this heavily. Oh, well, they thought, you know, like the characters talking about, um, you know, a teacher just automatically thinking she was going to be great in math. She said, I hate math. I suck at math and my strength is more in art and in reading. 
but my teacher fails to recognize that. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, so the thing is, is that kids have that exposure to those books and they can learn about other races, you know, in some cases, like we do have a small population of Asian kids at my school, but Mm -hmm. for the most part, a lot of those kids don't come in contact with those kids, but this is an opportunity for them to learn more about the culture rather than, I should say rather than, um, because they don't have a class with that eighth grader or that sixth grader. Mm -hmm. Okay. So on the other end of the story is that uh, representation, you know, we hear this phrase representation matters um, so much, and it really does. And I think sometimes that statement is um, not really explored enough because um, our stories are very unique stories. Um, Babysitter's Club, wonderful series. Kids love it, you know, yeah. but that isn't exactly the, the lived experience of some of the preteens that I teach right now and what they go through. Like mom couldn't finish the rest of my, her, uh, a student's braiding, uh, hair braiding. I said, we're going to have to finish this tomorrow. I'm tired, but you have work. You have to go to school tomorrow. And the top of your hair is still out, but yeah. the back and everything is all braided in. And so you have to wear a scarf all day. Yeah. And then you got to deal with a teacher arguing with you about, you know, you're not supposed to wear a headscarf, <laughs> you know? And these are actual events that, that, that Black girls go through, yeah. you know, and they experience. And sometimes these, these types of, of challenges are just not referenced in mainstream books. That's why our Black authors are definitely needed. And then last but not least, especially with our Black boys, with the challenges they experience just walking down the street being Black, yeah. you know, and and uh, the challenges that those, those, those um, encounters sometimes that they are met with and on the street will bring to them. Um, I love Nick Stone for this reason, I is that she... I, I love that the aspect of she had this young man writing Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and asking, what do you think? How should I handle this? Do you think this is the best approach? I mean, you haven't seen anything like that oh. um, in Black literature. And I really applaud her for that because it, it now opens up that, that door for kids to start reading a letter from a Birmingham jail, to read the actual papers of Dr. King yeah. and really learn that Dr. King was not loved and beloved as he is today while he was living. Exactly. People were like, we need, this, this man needs to shut up. That's how some black folks were, mm-hmm. as well as he was viewed as very um, uh, controversial. He was stirring up trouble as, as some black people felt. And last but not least is that he was far more um, uh, vocal and militant in his thinking yes, he was. than this this watered down, you know, for white folks to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream, you know, which everybody only knows that part of the speech, uh, the last couple of minutes. But um, there's so much more to Dr. King. There's so, so, so much more to many other things that take place in our community they need to be discussed in literature for our kids to understand because they have a right to thrive and grow and learn. I, and I don't see enough of it. We're better than we were when I was a kid and I'll be 52 absolutely, next year. Absolutely. We're much better, but we still have a ways to go. 
yes a happy early birthday to you thank you thank you by the way and yes I completely agree I said that in my first episode for this podcast I agree that we have come far when I walk into Barnes and Noble and I see literature that have black faces that have brown faces on them that have Asian faces on them and they're in the forefront they're front facing they're not hiding I don't have to go Mm -hmm. all the way in the back of the store to Mm -hmm. find the African American literature section anymore I appreciate that we have come far as far as making making sure that black voices that culture are being put more into the forefront however karma we still got a long way to go like we're still especially when it comes to talking about banning books which um i'm gonna we can discuss that as well and in the classroom is and stuff but i was going to say that about nick stone i read dear martin and dear justice last year and i really appreciated her literature because i was like i've never seen this i've never really seen mm-hmm. black boys literally being black boy joy just being and not being caught up in, I mean, yes, the stories do center around some controversy that they have to deal with, but they were just being, they didn't have right. to um, be caught up into the system. It wasn't a very hard story about, you know, and comparing to, and it's not to say monster is a bad book, but comparing it to the story yeah. of monster yeah. versus how the characters in Dear Martin and Dear Justice were they were literally just you know they had some of them had some bad ways they had you know they had a hard life but they were literally like they weren't I I, I don't how do I say this they weren't um demonized if that makes mm-hmm. sense they mm-hmm. weren't put into a space where it's like you literally can feel their pain you can feel their joy you can understand them you you understand the complexity and I feel like we do we have those books for girls we have those nuances and stuff. I'm currently rereading Queenie, which is not technically a YA book, but um, mm-hmm, it's, by, yeah. um, it's by Candice. Or I think she pronounced it Candice. I don't remember, but Candice uh, William, uh, Cardi, Carthy Williams. And it's just like, Queenie's a very comp- complex story about a, a plus-size African-American woman. But I like the fact that we're making stories about plus-size African-American women now. And I can see yes. myself. In a book and understand mm-hmm. it. And so I do understand how important that is for children. Like, yes, you have kids who, and even with reader diversity, you have African American children, as you said, who like Asian culture, who who like to learn about those different cultures and, and that aspect. And you never know when that information might show up for them at any given point in their life. And now they have that arsenal that they can pull from. And to be like, oh, I read this in the book or something, you know, I read it, which is why I read it. Right, right. So I, I definitely- And it's natural. And it's natural because yes. what are the kids into? Anime. Yeah. And when they are reading those anime books, that's that's Japanese culture. Yep. And then what happens is they want to learn a little bit more about Japanese. And then it just goes into just, just basically Asian cu- culture as a whole. Yeah. You know, so it makes sense that these books overlap and they can they complement one another yeah. and again i i have girls that read across the genre and i have girls that are really into anime <laughs> you know they love anime and, and i'm really a big supporter of that i'm like if this is your deal you know and i could tell that when they first started to come around and tell me about they like anime they were looking at me like are you gonna act like my mom or dad where they're like, why are you reading that? Those are really for, you know, boy books. And I'm like, no, 
if that's what you like, that's what you like. Now, I'll be the first one to tell you, I'm not an anime reader myself. I'm not. But I know one thing, if this is what moves the kids and this is something that they really enjoy, I make it my business to make sure that it lands on the shelf for them. Yeah, because I, I just, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a Harry Potter fan. Never been. I, I said, I said a couple of weeks ago, I said, I'm going to sit down. And it was something, it was like the 25th anniversary of, Annie, of um, like the 20th, Harry Potter, yeah. something like that. And, and they had a special one. I said, I'm going to sit here and watch the first one, the first movie. I could, I could got through half of it and it just wasn't keeping my attention. Regardless of that, I make sure I have, you know, multiple copies of those books on the shelf because there's still love, you know, yeah. and those books, you know, like I said, over 20 years old, I have kids that still come in and they ask the form and I'll, I'll make sure I have them. Absolutely. Uh, I will say that the, um, and that's just me, I am a Harry Potter fan, but I will say that the movies only, it, it really is a niche thing. Either you like it or you don't. And that's the, yeah. that's how I feel about the Twilight series. Either I like it or I don't like it. I didn't like the Twilight. <laughs> and I, and see, I'm, I'm a picky Twilight. reader. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not a Twilight fan and one I you, you blew. I'm not even gonna talk about that woman in her writing but that, I'm, I am just not I'm not a fan of that but I was a Harry Potter fan and of course my grandmother didn't necessarily agree with that but she didn't censor my reading and she mm-hmm. created a boundary to where if I could spend my own money on it then that was my property and she did not you know she did not go cross that boundary where it was like I don't care if you did spend your own money you can't bring this you can't do that my mm-hmm. mother said as long as if I'm earning it and if I'm if that's what I choose to spend my money on she let me do that and I appreciate that I appreciate she never censored you know my reading and what it was that I enjoy and so it brings me into this conversation about banning books which by the way <laughs> we in 2022 why 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 we still why, why we doing this and then the, the the books that you're banning, the things that you're saying um, shouldn't be in the classroom, they provide cultural relevance. And most of them, that are most of the books that's on this banned book list is African-American authors. And it's like, how are we not seeing that this is an issue, that this is a problem? Like, why are we banning critical race theory or why are we banning literature that literally teaches these children how to not only see themselves but and then it also teaches people who are not a part of that culture how to engage with the culture and so what are your thoughts on like that on banning and censorship and the things that are happening I can see your face but but like what is your thoughts on that I've been watching and I'm just like you know I'm I'm trying not to curse because (laughs) I do have a real foul mouth when I really get started. I understand. <laughs> but okay, this is what I really believe on this. Okay. I really believe that um, I think it was Representative Matt Krause mm-hmm. out of Texas. I believe that's who started this mess with that 850 count list of books that needed to be um, you know, banned. I personally believe that this is a distractionary tool. It started mm-hmm. as a distractionary measure. This isn't really an issue. The issue really is, is that they're doing something else in Texas and they needed something as a distractionary function that was going to get a lot of attention and get people 
upset across the country and while they're off doing something else on yes, the side absolutely. dealing with voting rights that's what i personally believe absolutely but what has evolved is it has now exploded into something even worse than we ever can conceive what also fueled it was during the pandemic a lot of parents were home and they were hearing what was being taught in class now this goes to show you with some of our wonderful parents how they're not as engaged as they should be we always hear about how they don't come to parent teacher you know night conferences and everything mm -hmm. but during, during the pandemic we were forced to do a lot of things yeah and one thing we were forced to do was sit in that house and stay away from other people so you started focusing on other things that you normally wouldn't focus on and i truly believe that some of the parents are like wait a minute you guys are reading the bluest eye and these themes are, are present in this book whoa you're doing this you're doing that and so i think it it coincided with his campaign and it, and then with the the critical race theory complaint of dr crenshaw you know i just think it just exploded and first of all educators and the general public needs to read the true definition of critical race theory yeah and it has not been and and people need to really understand what that definition means. Exactly. There's a legal term. We don't teach law in K-12 education. Right. Let's, let's just be real. The second is, is that the moment you take a child's ability to select books of their choice for reading, mm -hmm. that's when you've lost kids in reading. I agree. And a prime example is accelerated reader. When we took though when when we have accelerated reader like programs where you can only read by level and books are decided upon for the child instead of the child freely being able to decide what they want to read the child shuts down i agree reading gives us a pathway of understanding the unknown and things that we don't understand and educating us yes and in many cases in k-12 education we present books and material in front of kids so they can have an understanding of different things. Mm -hmm. But it's also as educators, we are, um, we are bound to present the truth to our kids. Absolutely. Half truths have been presented to us in our generation. Uh, yes. I didn't read about the 1619 Project same i didn't i did i didn't know anything about it the end of of years uh, in the last i would say 15 years there have been some monumental things about um uh black uh black people in, a, in this country the history of african americans africans yep. as a whole that i was not familiar with and when you start tracing it back it was because it wasn't taught i agree we we had people that were uncomfortable with teaching these lessons so they just ignored them yeah and they focused on white dominated history yeah i think all history needs to be shared all we of are our look black folks are uh, are a part of american history and we are american history we are part country. of yes just and so we should be excluded yeah we have black history month black history is 365 because it is part of american history period 
And the powers that be do not think that. They think that this is a second entity and it's not necessary or needed. But see, here's the thing. Not only do we need to know about what has happened in uh, black history, it goes to Hispanic history, Latinx history, Asian American history. Yep. You know, um, the also too, which is also ignored uh, as well, uh, the uh, what has taken place within the Jewish community outside of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's a, and the thing is, is that we need to know everything that impacts this country. Yeah. And abroad. And then the argument starts with, well, we don't have enough time, you know, or this is too heavy for the kids. Excuse me, but we teach other topics in, in, in our K-12 curriculum that has always been white dominated that have been uncomfortable conversations. What makes this still so different now? Yeah. So I could sit on my soapbox for a long time and really spew a lot of things and I end up start cussing. So I don't want to do this. <laughs> Please don't um, curse. <laughs> I want the thing is, yeah, I know I want to keep it clean. But the thing is, is that it's a contradiction of what is going on in this country. I think this is, was a um, purposeful effort to divert attention off of uh, certain issues that are really impacting the black community in particular voting rights. Absolutely. And, and it's a means of control. And <laughs> it is the saddest thing that I've seen. And, and I hate to say this about my own counterparts in the public and the school libraries, but because they don't want to fight, they don't want to have an argument, they're afraid for their jobs and a lot, a lot of other things. They're not using the resources that are there to support them, mm-hmm. like ALA, Freedom Fighters. You know, these, both of these organizations will support you. They're just pulling books abruptly off the shelf. And as I read something on Twitter the other day, well, this book is going to take a little vacation until things die down. No, books should never leave the shelf. It should stay right there. Take education. Right. So if this parent's child doesn't want you to read this book, then that's their business. I put a, a note on the child's account saying mom does not want the child to read books about werewolves because it creates nightmares for the child crying out loud. Okay, that's that mother's business. But that mother cannot cross the line and say, well, this book needs to be banned completely because it's going to affect all children. No, there's something called a reconsideration process that 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 patrons must go through if they want something really pulled off of a K-12 shelf. And that's what we're seeing is that no one is following these rules nope. that are put in place by Library Bill of Rights, the Office of International uh, Intellectual Freedom with the ALA, with ALA. They just want to say, hey, I'm a taxpayer, therefore it needs to be pulled. It yeah. doesn't work that way. And that's the problem we have in a lot of areas. Yeah, yeah. and our parents <laughs> need to get more involved in this, this, this area because this is getting to be ridiculous. I absolutely agree. And then when you think about it, a lot of the textbooks and literature come from Texas in that state. A lot of that is being created and made there. So it's it's a whole agenda. So I don't disagree with you in that regard. And I don't know books should take a vacation. I've always been under school the thought that a good library has some at least one book in it that offends everybody. 
right. <laughs> because that's a good library. That means that you're probably making sure that there are thought processes there for anybody who comes to look for that literature, comes to look for a resource that it is there and it's there for them to be able to learn and to educate themselves in whatever way that they feel so free to and mm-hmm. choose to do so. And I definitely don't think that you should do that to kids because now what you're trying to do is in my mind and in, in my opinion, you're trying to create robots and we don't need that. We need free thinking people. We need people who are able to formulate open-ended uh, opinions for themselves so that we can have a better future. Why are we trying to go backwards? We need to be trying to move forward. And I, to me, mm-hmm. this is moving backwards, especially in 2022. Like what, what are we doing? Like we, <laughs> I, we're not doing that. Um, so I agree with you um on that regard but i guess one of the other things that i wanted you to do and i I know we'll be wrapping up soon um take me in through a a day for a school librarian what do you typically do on on what any given day for yourself like how would your day start or how would it end as far as like being in the library or being around your children how does that go every day is different Mm -hmm. because there are situations that occur daily that are very different there's some that um are standard that happen every day but I can just just start with a basic rundown um usually walk in with a student Mm -hmm. and go sign in and then I usually have a couple in the lobby that are waiting and they have arrived to school before I've even gotten there and if I have books or other material that are heavy you know that has been shipped into the uh, school Mm -hmm. like come on you can come down with me early you can come carry this for me Right. The young uh, muscles to work <laughs> get down to my library um in the morning some want to sit quietly some just want to read some want to uh, sit and talk to each other um <clears throat> sometimes outside of my ear so I send them in the conference room and they can have their little private conversations <laughs> um, but for the most part a lot of them like to go in the makerspace lab and if I am been engaged in some type of project and lately it's been bracelet making mm-hmm. so they're crazy about that They'll go in there and make a bracelet, you know, before school, you know, just do something with their hands to kind of keep them like, you know, um, occupied. I put some soft music on for them. Mm -hmm. They leave out. Then that's when I try and get some work done. And this is administration of the library, um, administration of the library program. I might be processing books, Mm -hmm. shelving books, you know, it goes from one to the other. And then also it could be I'm troubleshooting equipment and mm-hmm. before I start working with a group or I could be just preparing for the lunch periods because the lunch periods, that's when we get into a lot of project-based learning activities. Okay. There are times that I will go into classrooms to do book talks. I will go in to do a lesson with a teacher or either show the kids how to use a function of um, some of the tools that and resources that are present in Clever, which is a single sign-on system for all of the apps that we use in our district. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, my lunch periods will occur, you know, and I have three lunch periods and it's very busy. I have some kids that come in and eat lunch and stay, some that just want to eat upstairs with me, but then they want to go to recess and that's fine too. Um, I have some kids that, uh, as a repeat of the morning, they either quiet, want to talk, or engage in an activity, but they also check out books heavily 
you know, before and after school is I mean, before and, dur- and um, during lunch periods. Afternoons, you know, I try and take a break, but it's a repeat of either in a classroom or I have classes coming down or we're going to do some type of project-based activity during seventh and eighth periods, which are towards the end of my day. And then at the end of my day, I'm usually um, still checking out books for the kids. And um, uh, for the most part, my day will end unless I have a meeting that I'm going to attend the school base or either in the district dealing with advocacy. Um, And then what I didn't mention is that the uh, things that happen, you know, like I will have a student that is having a um, not a good day Mm -hmm. and they will be sent to the library to kind of for therapy to kind of calm down because they need to get out the classroom and in a different setting, you know, um, I will attend meetings that with our kids that are what you would say at risk um, so that I know how to better service them. Sometimes through reading and bibliotherapy therapy reading, I'm able to do that. Um, And, and, you know, this is middle school and I'm not trying to be funny when I say this, but you know, they fight. Yeah. Not just physically, but they bicker. And, and the reason why is that they're learning a lot about themselves. Their bodies are changing. Their hormones are flying. Yes. So they have a tendency, to, when I say they, the kids have a tendency sometimes to not handle certain situations in the best manner. Right. So you end up having to kind of play referee as, and also to, to try and explain to a child, there's a better way you could have handled this. <laughs> so... And, and then I have my students who are my walkers. Yeah. They can't handle sitting in class for long periods of time. Right. And they'll say, I just came down here on my three minute walk to check on you. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, all right. Three minutes is up. You got to go back to class. Right. So uh, it's funny. It's funny with the, with some of them. I, they're, I can expect them to pop up at the same time every day. Mm. You know, one is there's a balcony um, that looks down to the, the lobby of the library. Okay. Every day, same time. I, it's a little boy. He'll, he'll say, Hey, Miss boy, you know, <laughs> every day, same time. I'm like, I know he's up here. And then when I don't see him, I'm like, he must be absent today right. or either he got pulled in for testing or he got in trouble, okay. you know? So it's a lot of, it, it's, it's like, you are a jack of all trade. You are that free person in the building. You're not tied to a class. You know, you get to set your schedule the way that you really want to set it, but it's still a very demanding day. Yes. And so my last two questions for you, one, because you do sound, that's a life. Um, How are you practicing self-care for yourself? Um, It's my first question. And then I'll have one more briefly after that. Uh, Very easy. So I've learned the art of saying no. And the second is, is that if I don't get it done, I don't worry about it. That's There's a, always tomorrow. That's a good. And I, I, I don't flip out over it. I used to get really upset. I didn't meet this deadline. Look, they get it tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And then my last question for you. And then I, once again, I just want to thank you for um, taking this hour out to talk sure, to you. It's a sure. very enriching conversation. What do you think um, and what do you believe the profession could do better in terms of creating a DEI working environment? And that's just not even just for school librarians, but that's across the board for the library profession. 
What do you believe that the profession can do better in terms of creating uh, a, a better DEI work environment? Well, um, it starts in library school. It has to be implemented because you can look at all kinds of people from all different walks of life entering in library school. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you work change that mindset, especially when th their goal is they have to service the general public? Yeah. Whether it's children, young adults, or you know, or adults. It starts in those library school programs. And there needs to be a vigorous DEI program that is not helter skelter like this university is doing this and this university is doing that. It needs to be a standard across the table that must be met. Everybody has to be on the same page. Mm -hmm. I think that's one way that you can um, make some adjustments and improvements in regards to DEI. Um, but then the other thing is having lived experience and then a good examples model for you. If students can't see the the end game on different things, you know, then it does, it usually falls flat. And they need to see that mentorship in place. They need to also experience it. I agree. And so there's other areas, you know, I could get deeper, deeper into, but I think surface wise, I think that those top three areas would really be very um, monumental and supportive of this effort. If we want to move together, um, forward together as a profession. I agree with you. I definitely agree with that because I'm going to be quite honest. When I went to library school, I don't remember really having a class that centered on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'm still fairly new in the library game. I graduated from UIUC in 2016. So um, I definitely agree that it's something that needs to be incorporated into the profession early on as we continue to navigate. That way you can be prepared and you can understand like, you're not just going to be servicing people from your culture. Um, the library is centered, focus, mostly focused on customer service and customer service includes everybody, not just who you like. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think if we start where we, well, at the root and also letting people know that you can go to school to be a librarian because this is something that I think is still not as widely spread. <laughs> I, I didn't even yeah. know <laughs> like knowing that you can go to school to become a librarian and it's actually a degree. I still get people now that's like, wait, you actually went to school for it? Like, oh, yeah. I have people I've worked with before, <laughs> not at my school currently, but I've worked with that. They're like, you have a master's degree? You have a degree? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I, I do. I, I, I have do. three. Right. When I read that, I was like, mm -hmm. come on, three degree. Come on, three mm -hmm. masters. I was like, listen, I thought I was team too much, but I'm OK with being team too much because I have two bachelor's degrees. But and when I tell people that, they be like, you got to. Yeah, <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't understand it. We can have a whole mm -hmm. conversation about that one right there. Mm -hmm. Like as if it's a such thing as having too much education. <laughs> like I don't I don't get it I don't get it I have it all depends on the receiver of that conversation like, yeah, you know too true. This you is know true. So sometimes it's worth having the discussion sometimes it, it just don't bother I, 
I agree. So it has been wonderful. It has definitely been a wonderful hour. We're talking with you and chatting with you. Um, once again, I just said thank you for um, allow, for doing this. If you please could tell the people where they can find you at. And if you have any initiatives that you might need donors to support, please take the time to, to let us know about those things as well. Well, you can um, connect with me through my website, which is caseyboyd.com. I do the majority of my advocacy on Twitter. And my Twitter account is at boss underscore librarian. And you will be able to connect to my Twitter account through my website. But um, if you follow my Twitter account, if I need support on an initiative, which we do have one coming up very soon, it's in March, awesome. where we're trying to get education policy changed in the city regarding school librarians to ensure that there is a school librarian mm -hmm. uh, um, in equitable in every DCPS school full-time and certified. Oh, wow. And we have a lot of library schools in this area. So that's not difficult to find a, a certified librarian. The pool is full in this area, but making sure that, that there's consistent employ, employment that's how you get great candidates. Yeah. And if you have held to skelter employment opportunities, it's very difficult to land a permanent employee that will be committed to staying in the district. I agree. I, I completely agree mm -hmm. with that. So, um, and you're, I believe that this episode will be going, or if not, I'm going to make it my business to, for this episode to go up in March so people can support that. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, I definitely agree with that. And I, I want to be a part of that. So I'll make that, that's my part. <laughs> I'll, okay. I'll continue. Uh, but okay. yes, so have a good weekend, everyone. I'll see you back here next week.